Morning, everyone. Good to see you this morning. If you keep your Bibles open there, if you've got them, to Colossians 2. We'll have a look at that in a minute. Let's pray. Precious God and Heavenly Father, we want to thank you this morning for the fact that we can be here in this place celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord. We want to thank you that today we serve a risen Saviour, one who is alive, who is there in heaven, seated at your right hand, interceding on our behalf, the one who waits for that day when he will return in all his majesty and glory and splendour, where he will come to uh, to bring history to a conclusion and where he will uh, there judge all the living and all the dead. Lord, this morning uh, we pray that as we open up your word together, as we uh, just uh, take a few uh, minutes to ponder on this whole aspect of what the resurrection means for us today, we pray that you might speak to our hearts by the power of your spirit. We pray that as we uh, hear this morning from you that uh, the resurrection and, uh, and what uh, Christ did through that and what he's accomplished for us would uh, yeah, just help us to, uh, to uh, just grow a little bit more in our understanding of you, but more so in our love for you. For we ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. I want to do a little bit of an exercise with you this morning. I'm going to mention an item and I want you to tell me what goes with it. So like, for instance, if I was to say uh, salt, you might say pepper. All right, very good. You're going to catch on with this pretty quickly. All right, thunder. Cowboys. Okay, cool. Left. Shoes. Fish. All right. We're all on the same page this morning. That's excellent. All right. Well, that's really, really good. Now you might think, what on earth has that got to do with good uh, with, with Easter Sunday? Well, on Friday we celebrated Good Friday, didn't we? You were here, some of you, at, uh, we remembered the death of Jesus Christ. We remembered that uh, that on the on that particular day Christ went to the cross in order to uh, to pay the penalty for our sin. He died on the cross in order to bear our sins there in his body on the cross and to endure God's rightful punishment, that punishment that we deserve for our sin. But that's not the end of the story, praise God. Because just as all those things that I just mentioned all go together, so Good Friday also goes with Easter Sunday. You cannot separate the two. They are part and parcel of God's salvation plan for all of mankind. You cannot have Friday, that is Jesus' death, without Easter Sunday where Jesus rose again. They go together. Paul's argument in 1 Corinthians 15 speaks a lot about that. He says, you know, look, if, if Christ wasn't raised, then, uh, then we're still in our sins. So we need to remember that, that, uh, that today and Friday, they go, they go hand in hand. And, uh, and they're like two sides of the same coin, if you like. Sunday tell, tells us, today tells us that Jesus has risen from the dead and that he is the victorious reigning king of God. Death could not keep its hold on him. It could not keep him in the grave because he was not just God's son, but he was the sinless son of God. He was our representative. And this is something which we need to understand that Jesus had to be the one to pay for our sins. He needed to be fully God in that he was completely sinless, but he also needed to be fully man in order to be able to represent us before God. That he was the sinless son of God and that his power is stronger than sin and death. And that is what we celebrate today. 
Because today reminds us that for all who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Saviour and as their Lord, as they put their faith and trust in him as their substitute, the one who paid for their sins on the cross, that they too can have victory over sin and death. We can have victory over sin and death. Not just at some future point, but we can have victory here in our lives today. That Jesus' life that he gives is not just a life that we hope for at some future point in time when this life is over, but right here and now we can experience that in our lives today. Jesus gives us a new power to live. And this is what we're looking at today, living in light of Jesus' resurrection from Colossians chapter 2. This new power that Jesus gives us helps us to live this new life today because it provides three things. Three things we're going to quickly look at. First of all, it provides assurance. Secondly, it provides, it leads to transformation. And thirdly, it brings us hope. The resurrection begins by giving us assurance. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9 says this. It says that for in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The resurrection gives us an assurance of Jesus's identity, of who he truly is, that he is indeed the son of God, that he is the one whom in, in his self, God dwells in all of his fullness there in Christ. It gives us assurance of who Jesus is. He's the son of God. He's also Lord and he's also Saviour. So let's look at Jesus as the Son of God. Matthew twelve thirty-eight to 40 is quite an interesting passage because the, um, the, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, when Jesus was alive, they, uh, they wanted Jesus to give them a sign. They wanted him to give them a definite sign about who he was, that he was indeed the one who'd come from God. And Jesus said this. They said, some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them with these words. He says, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Speaking about his death. See, these, uh, these religious leaders wanted uh, a sign from Jesus and Jesus said, right, well, this will be the sign that I will be in the grave for three days and three nights, but after that, I will rise again. The resurrection indeed proves, was the sign to prove who Jesus was, that he was indeed the Son of God. And we see that in Romans chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, where the Apostle Paul, writing to the, uh, the church at Rome in the day, said um, that he was called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God, which God had promised beforehand through his prophets, through the Holy Scriptures concerning his Son. And about his son, he said he was descended from David according to the flesh. So his, his family line, his human family line was from the line of David, the kingly line of David. But he was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection. The resurrection proves that Jesus Christ is indeed the Son of God. There is no doubt about it. And folks, we cannot hope to live this life in the way that God has called us to, if we're not certain of who Jesus is. We need to have that assurance of the fact that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. If we are to have assurance for, uh, in terms of our forgiveness for sins, that we have indeed been reconciled to God. Secondly, we, he gives, it gives us assurance that he is not only the Son of God, but he is also the Lord. By his resurrection, 
Jesus was declared to be Lord over all. Look at our passage again this morning in verse 10. And it says, And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. That he is the head of all rule and authority. And in verse 15, it says that he, that is Jesus, in dying on the cross and rising from the dead, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. He disarmed all rulers and authorities, that Jesus is indeed the one who is seated above all, who has greater authority, greater power, greater position than anyone else, that we, uh, that we can you know, even begin to imagine that Jesus is indeed Lord over all. And in Acts chapter 2, verses 36, this is a record of a, a sermon given by the Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost, which is uh, about seven weeks after Jesus ascended back into heaven. The Holy Spirit, which, God, which Jesus had promised, had come and, uh, and indwelled the believers in that day. And uh, Peter gets up in front of this huge, big uh, congregation there in Jerusalem. He gives this powerful message about who Jesus was. And he says this, he says, Let all the house of Israel there for know for certain that God has made him, talking about Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. God has made him both Lord and Christ, that he is indeed seated above all. Folks, Jesus' death and his resurrection here means that is the means by which Jesus has indeed accomplished this victory, that he has disarmed all the rulers and powers that they no longer have any hold over him and all who put their faith and trust in, in Jesus, they no longer have that hold over them either. They no longer have that hold over us. Of course, our greatest enemy is death. But the Apostle Paul could also say in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-five that in, in, in Jesus dying and rising from the dead, Jesus also defeated death, our greatest enemy. That thing that, that holds the greatest hold over us, if you like. For he says in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-five, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Jesus has taken it away. He's taken it away. Not only is he Lord, but he's also Saviour. Sorry, he's also Saviour. Verses 13 and 14 speak about this. It says, And you, speaking of us, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. See, we, we've just, what Jesus has accomplished for us is the fact that he has indeed paid our debt. That sin that separated us from the holy God that Greg spoke about with the kids here this morning, that sin Jesus has taken away. He's removed it all by paying for that sin in full, by bearing all of God's punishment and judgment upon himself on the cross. He took that sin, bore the punishment, and then rose from the dead. And that resurrection proves that indeed his sacrifice was sufficient indeed to pay for our sin. Second Corinthians, uh, sorry, Colossians speaks about this. When we're dead in our trespasses and the uncircumcision of the flesh, that means that we were completely separated from God. But he made us alive together with him. 
Christ has met all the demands of the law in dying on the cross for our sin. He is able to he alone is able to offer us forgiveness and cancel our sin debt before God. And as I said, his that res, his resurrection is that guarantee or that proof if you like that God gives us that indeed Jesus' death was sufficient. 1 Peter 3.18, which Greg again spoke about with the kids this morning, said this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. That's us. That he might indeed bring us to God. That he might reconcile us to God. Put us back into a relationship where we are no longer at, uh, at odds with God, at, in enemies with God, or in, uh, in conflict with God, but instead we are reconciled to him, brought back into a relationship where there is peace and harmony and, ex- and full acceptance by God. He did this by being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit of God. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 then declares in one, one triumphant uh, declaration, therefore there is no condemnation condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We no longer need fear God's judgment because Christ has taken it on our on our behalf. So the resurrection gives us assurance. It gives us assurance about who Jesus is, that he, he that he is indeed the son of God, that he is indeed Lord, but it also gives us assurance that our sins are completely paid for. That Jesus is the only one who can reconcile us, that can set us back in a right relationship with God. But the resurrection also leads to transformation. Colossians 2, 6, 7 says this, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And again in verse 11 and 12, The apostle writes this, he says, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Folks, this morning, the resurrection calls us or leads us, if you like, to transformation in ourselves, in our lives, in our spirits and in our bodies. The phrase walk in him means to live a life that is characterised by Christ-likeness, to be like Jesus. In fact, that's, how, that's, that's God's purpose for us, to make us new creatures, to make us new creations and to make us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ fitting us indeed for a life forever with him in heaven. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21, if you just go back a chapter, it says this, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. That is God's purpose. As I said, Paul speaks here in, this, uh, in Colossians 2 about circumcision. Now, that was God's covenant sign for his people. You go back to Genesis chapter 17. God had said to Abraham, this is going to be the means by which you will be identified as my people. It set these people, it set God's people apart for him. And that term set apart is the same term that we use for holy. 
It means to be set apart for God for his purposes. To be set apart for God to be different to those around about us. But circumcision was of the flesh was an outward sign. It did nothing to change the people's hearts. But the circumcision that Paul talks about here in this passage was meant to point beyond itself to, to the circumcision of the heart. The circumcision of the flesh was to point to a circumcision of the heart. Romans 2, 28 and 29 says this, For no one is a Jew or a person of God who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter of the law. In other words, Paul is saying here that, you know what, you can go through all the rituals and you can do all of the, all of the, you know, the, the legal ritualistic things, but that is not going to bring you to God. And sadly today, this is what we, we tend to do in our lives. We think that we can bring ourselves to God by doing all of these outward, you know, visible kind of ritualistic things you know, to, to, to kind of earn God's favour. But God says, no, it's got to take place in here first. There's got to be a change of, of heart and of spirit in a person And that can only be a work of the Spirit of God in us. See, the circumcision of the flesh gave no power to live according to God's commands. It gave no power to live. But when the Spirit comes and takes up his place within us, When we trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour, he places his Holy Spirit within us, which changes us and transforms us. It changes our hearts. It changes our perspective. So not only do we get new life, but we get a new perspective in life. And a person who truly belongs to God is a person who has their heart transformed by the Spirit of God. Philippians 3.3, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Our confidence alone is in Jesus Christ. And this can only come through a work of the Holy Spirit within us. In Jesus' earthly ministry, he had a conversation with a man, a religious leader called Nicodemus. You can read about it in John's Gospel, chapter 3. And in that particular conversation, Jesus was, you know, Nicodemus was kind of, you know, trying to work out who Jesus was and, and how he could, you know, be sure of his own kind of place in God's family. And Jesus says, you know, you cannot be, you cannot be a part of God's family unless you are born again. You are born of the Spirit of God. And this has got to be a work of God. It cannot be a work of any human being because we cannot indeed get the Spirit for ourselves and no, no human being can give the Holy Spirit. It has got to be a work of God, but God places that Spirit within us and that brings about a complete change and transformation in our lives, in our minds, in our hearts and in our, our behaviours and our attitudes. And we need to put out no confidence in the, the things of the flesh, but instead, but in the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. For it is the Holy Spirit who then enables us to say no to temptation and sin and instead say yes to obeying God. 
Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 6, where he says this. Oh, hang on, where I've, I've skipped over one. There we are. Romans 6, 13 to 14 says this. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God, or that is your body, as to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. What Paul is saying here is that there was a time before we came to know Jesus Christ where we just did not have any option whatsoever in terms of temptation and sin. They had us under their power, that we were slaves to them, that we could not resist And so we just continue to to live after our own desires and our own authority and that sort of thing and reject God. But when Jesus places his Holy Spirit within us, it then frees us from being slaves to sin and unrighteousness and instead it allows us to say yes to God and to live the life that God wants us to live. Now, yes, we might not always do that because we've still got this kind of battle that's going on inside us in this earthly life because we have both this new nature that God gives us, but we still have this old fleshly body, which is, you know, which is still corrupted and, and decaying and, and is still, you know, um, still wants to go after th- temptation and sin. And so we've got this battle that, that exists within us. But Jesus' resurrection gives us his, you know, and assures us that we have his Holy Spirit and then we can use the power of the Spirit in order to, to live the life that God calls us to. Do you understand that? This morning, that is, folks, that is earth-shattering news today. That God himself, in the person of his Holy Spirit, lives within those who put their faith and trust in Jesus, who have asked him to be the one who pays for their sin, and therefore then enables you to live the life that God has called you to live. And not only that, the Holy Spirit is also God's seal of ownership on you. Ephesians chapter 1 speaks about this that the Holy Spirit is God's seal of ownership on you, guaranteeing that all through your life and after your life here on earth is over, you are his, separated for him, guaranteed to always be with him and he with you. The morning that Jesus rose from the dead, there was an incredible earthquake. An incredible earthquake. Now, any of you who've lived through an earthquake, an earthquake will know that with any kind of earthquake, there's always aftershocks, right? And then tremors and that sort of thing that come after it. Well, just as that kind of thing happens in, in earthquakes here in this earth today, the, 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 the effects of Jesus' resurrection kind of continues to have these aftershocks, if you like, these tremors. They continue to, to, to have an impact, if you like, in the lives of believers and those who come to faith today. Jesus' resurrection is still having aftershocks and tremors right throughout the world today in people's lives, people who have come to faith in him and people who will come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's the power of the resurrection, folks. The power that God is enabled, you know, through the resurrection is able to bring new life into people's lives on a daily basis right throughout our world. And that that new life that he gives us is a life that enables us to have the power to walk in his ways, 
to honour him and to worship him and to know that we are truly his. And folks, that means that resurrection brings us hope. It brings us hope for the future. I think one of the greatest passages on the hope that stems from Jesus' resurrection comes from 1 Peter chapter 1, and verses 3 to 5, where Peter writes this. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading. An inheritance that is being kept in heaven for you, who at this moment by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Can you see that? That God has, through Jesus Christ, through his resurrection, has caused us to be born again. It is something that is done entirely by God. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope. One that is alive. And it's come through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Folks, we are guaranteed for all who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ that one day that inheritance, that imperishable, undefiled, unfading, glorious inheritance will be ours in Jesus Christ. But it's not just for the future. It is also for the here and now. You know, to be without hope leaves us, I think, in the very pit of despair. To take away a person's hope, take away the very, very reason for even going on with life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a, a German pastor, theologian and author back in, in the days of World War II. And he was held in a, um, a Gestapo prison in 1945 and he knew that his life was about to end. He knew that he was, that he was headed for execution. It was during this time that he, that he penned a, the words of, of a beautiful hymn. It's a hymn called By Gracious Powers. I just want to read you the first verse. He says, By gracious powers so wonderfully, so wonderfully sheltered and confidently waiting come what may, we know that God is with us night and morning and never fails to greet us each new day. Here was a man who, there in the midst of the, uh, the, 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 the World War II in this, in this Nazi concentration camp, who knew that his life was about to end, who in many ways, many people would have considered an absolutely hopeless situation, he was able to say, by gracious powers so wonderfully sheltered and confidently waiting, come what may. He had a confidence that he could face no matter what, was, what would come at him. And he could do so confidently and with hope because he says, for we know that God is with us night and morning and he never fails to greet us each new day. In the worst of times, in the, in the, the most dreaded situation I think that a person could find themselves in, Bonhoeffer found reason for hope in God's future that we know that he had life with God. And that God was with him there in the very midst of his darkness. And folks, for us, when those days come, those days that come that are so hard to bear because of all the burdens that weigh us down. Those days where the, 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 the darkness just seems to envelop us and overwhelm us and overcome us 
It is in the midst of that darkness that God's light shines warm and glorious through his presence with us. Psalm 139, verses 7 to 12 says this. It says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as day, for darkness is as light with you. The psalmist is saying there, it doesn't matter where I am or what circumstances I face, God, you are there with me. I cannot escape you. You are there. And this morning, because of Jesus' resurrection, you can confidently say, by putting your faith and trust in him, that God is with you no matter where you are in your life, no matter what challenges you face, no matter what burdens, no matter what trials, no matter what hardships, Jesus is there with you in the midst of it, and he is able to give you strength and endurance and grace and comfort and peace and the confidence that he will bring you through. Amen. Amen. Even the very last words that Jesus spoke to his disciples in Matthew's gospel, the very last words of the gospel Jesus says, and behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age, Jesus said. And all his disciples can take that confidence that courage from that, that he is with us. Folks, our hope does not depend on our circumstances. It is instead grounded in what God has done for us in Jesus Christ and through his death and resurrection. For his resurrection guarantees us his presence with us now and it guarantees our future resurrection life to come. This morning, Jesus' death, we remember, was important because it paid the penalty for sin. But we also remember that his resurrection means that this new life that he rose to can be ours. A life that is seen now but will only be fully experienced when we get to glory. Folks, today there are all kinds of beliefs and philosophies in our world. Paul speaks about this in this chapter where he says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world. There are all kinds of voices, all kinds of beliefs, all kinds of philosophies out there in our world today which would say the opposite to what we have been speaking about this morning. But Paul says, Be careful that these things do not take you captive. Do not allow them to, to warp your mind and to, uh, and to convince you otherwise. But, to, but remember that in Jesus Christ, he is the only way to a relationship with God and he is the only means by which our sins can be forgiven and new life can be ours, eternal life. Jesus is the only way that we can know the truth about this. He's proved it by rising from the dead. No other person in history has ever done this. 
No other religion, no other religious leader is able to claim that they are indeed the son of God and to be able to come back from the dead. There is no other belief system, philosophy, faith in this world that can give a person the same confidence that that Christianity can through Jesus Christ. So this morning, can I say that if you are not sure If you are not sure in your own mind about Jesus and about the resurrection, about what we've spoken of today, then I'd love for you to come and talk to me because I'd like to give you some material which will help you you, you in your search through that. But this morning we celebrate new life, a chance to start over, the assurance that Christ is indeed Lord, that your sin's been paid for, that the hope that we have is both ours now and forever in God. And I believe this morning, folks, that is something to truly celebrate. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. Yes. Thanks, Bree. Always count on you to, to be positive. Yep. Folks, let's pray, shall we? Father, we've been sitting here this morning and I believe that none of us are here by accident. That indeed you have brought us here this morning. You have spoken to us through your word. You have indeed revealed to us the wonderful truth that our sins can be paid for in Jesus Christ and that new life can be ours in him if we indeed accept your word as truth, if we indeed accept that Jesus Christ is the only means by which we can have our sins forgiven, by putting our faith and trust in him. Father, this morning in this place, there are many who have done that, and I praise you for that this morning. I praise you for the work that you've done in their lives and in their hearts, and I pray that you will continue to lead them and guide them, that you will continue to to assure them in their hearts of the truth of Jesus, Lord, that you will continue to do your work of transformation in their lives, that you will continue to shine brightly the hope that is theirs in Jesus Christ in their hearts and in their minds. But Lord, for those who are here this morning who have not yet come to that understanding or that place of of accepting you as Saviour, I pray this morning that you would indeed impress upon their hearts and in their lives the truth of of Jesus' resurrection, that it is indeed something which can be believed, that it is not just some fairy tale, some mythological story, but it is indeed something which can be believed and affirmed as true and it will make the greatest difference in their lives. Father, would you work in that way through your Holy Spirit? For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.